Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible. And stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. (laughs) And today we are going to be wrapping up our series in Joshua. Uh, I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) I'm having, I'm in a mood today, Glenn. It's like not even necessarily a good mood. It's just in like a, I kind of feel like I'm slowly losing my mind mood. So it's silly in that sense of like, ha ha, aren't I insane? Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's not particularly like uh, happy either. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but that's the honest part of it. So yeah, I am laughing because my brain does not know what else to do. You don't do, know what else to do. Yeah, <laughs> I am excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we're gonna. Like I said, we're we're wrapping up our series in Joshua, and basically what that means is we're going to do a little bit of a recap to kind of talk through what. We've covered already a Mm -hmm. bit of a review, and then we'll end it talking about the last 13 to 24. Is that how many? That's it. That's basically the whole second half of the book. And we're going to slam it into this one episode, baby. Bam. It's going to be great. I think so. Right? Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, we'll we'll recap. I guess we'll see. It depends on you and I will talk about whether or not we think the episode is great. And then, you know, I guess people can also tell us. But anyway. (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's jump into it. Let's recap episode one of Joshua, uh, where we basically talked about chapter one, kind of foreshadowed some of the upcoming chapters a little bit, too. But yeah, we're, where Joshua is entering the scene. Yeah. So because we're basically shoving a whole half of the book into the end, I thought, well, it's, it's going to be important to kind of remember where we've been because we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Um, so we'll, we'll see what where have we already gone? What have we already talked about? Yeah, so, yeah. as you said, chapter one was where we opened, and we really honed in on the whole be strong and courageous thing, right? We're in the yeah. book of Joshua, main character, as you would imagine, is Joshua. The whole thing is this, is the story of God taking the Israelites, his people, into the promised land. And the big command that he gives them at the beginning as they're prepping and getting ready of like, hey, we've got to go into the promised land and and fight the Canaanites who are there. He says, be strong and courageous. But we talked about that week, that there's a lot of stuff around that that kind of explains what he means when he says that. I think when we hear that, we think, oh, you're going to get in battle. Like, don't be a scaredy cat. Like, be strong and, like, go beat some people. And really, I think a better understanding of what God's saying and doing there is saying, I'm your God, I've made these promises, I'm going to be faithful to, f- to fulfill them, I'm not going to leave you, and so I need you to be strong and courageous, or I think maybe even saying it, have a strong and courageous faith, and stick yeah. close to me, right? Like, I, I have got you, I'm the protector, I'm the the warrior here in this whole situation, and if you stay close to me, you'll be good. So, strong and yeah. courageous there is... Not so much fighting against the Canaanites, but I would say maybe fighting against themselves and their tendency mm. to to wonder and to doubt and to not even doubt, but to uh, not doubt in the sense that we sometimes doubt today. We can maybe touch on that later, but uh, doubt in the sense of like, oh, maybe God won't fulfill this promise. And so I'm going to look for another way to, to make it happen on my own. Yeah. Man, if only they had listened to that 
message from the beginning. And but who yeah. am I to say? Because mm-hmm. man. I'm messed up. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a problem that goes all the way back to the garden, right? I mean, I think we talk about that so much about how everything goes back to the garden, but it's because that garden story so well sets up the problem that we're going to deal with from now until Jesus comes back. Yeah. Uh, And in some ways, Jesus has already dealt with the problem, and we're in this already not yet, which we'll get to later. But I think exactly what you're saying, if... If Adam and Eve had just <laughs> been strong and right, courageous right. and stayed close to the Lord, instead of you know worrying that maybe He didn't know what was best for them or didn't have the best thing for them in mind, then we wouldn't have these issues. And the same yeah. goes for every kind of Adam and Eve archetype that we see throughout the Old Testament. Man, if they would have just uh, you know figured that out before, right? <laughs> Well, and I do like that you bring up the point that, you know, if we just say be strong and courageous, our mind automatically fills in the gaps of what that means. But yeah. uh, the the follow-up verse where God is saying, I'm with you always, I think mm-hmm. those two kind of have to go together for this to, mm-hmm. to make the most sense. Um, and that's, we see that played out within the next few chapters, both God being alongside them as they're being strong and courageous and then God kind of backing off for a second and being like, yep, you're not, you're not doing what I'm needing you to do, what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, like you said, we're going to see this play out. So let's then talk, let's kind of do a recap of what what we talked about after that. Chapters two through five, we covered in episode two. And now our premise that we've set up here really starts to, to work itself out. Joshua hmm. is now introduced as the new Moses after Moses has passed away, and he is beginning to lead the people into the process of actually moving into the promised land and taking it. And this whole thing is representing the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel in that he would take them to a land of milk and honey, and he would dwell with them, and he he would be their God, and they would be his people. And it's, yeah. again this return to the garden of Eden. We got, we got exiled out of the garden way back in Genesis three. And the whole, the whole thing since then has been, how can we get back to that place where we're living at one, uh, we're living together rather with God and we're not separated by sin and shame. And that is what the Israelites are heading toward and hoping for is we get in this land we can actually dwell with God. In the wilderness, they had a tabernacle, but the nature of the tabernacle is it's it's mobile. It's not permanent, right? You're still yeah. wandering. You're still not settled and resting. Uh, and so they, they want to see a more full fulfillment of that. Well, they want to see it, and God wants that for them. He's, he's preparing yeah. all of that for them. Um, and I, I just, I like that contrast because I feel like they want it. God wants it for them, but they just like, can't make the connection. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Joshua ends up leading them there, but it isn't as simple as that. Yeah. So last, uh, I mean, it is, but they don't make it as simple as it yeah, could be. It, well, it is and isn't, right? Because they, they're going to the promised land, but the thing we talked about in the previous uh, episode on Joshua is that it's not as easy as, 
hey, now we just live here. But there's a bunch of people there, and they have to figure out what to do as far as that goes. And so uh, that's difficult for them to to wrap their minds around, but it's also very difficult for us to wrap our minds around. And we kind of walk through as best we could, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm not saying I have this, like, super awesome tie a bow on an answer that that makes this all easy to work through but they they are enacting god's judgment on the canaanites because of the canaanites wickedness and again we talked about that in more detail previously and so israel is kind of a tool that god is using there he is enacting his judgment it's not yeah. the israelites are conquering some land for political gain and riches and all this stuff there's actually a number of things that point against that, and it's more so God is punishing these people for being wicked, for worshiping other gods, for doing some pretty horrendous things in the name of worshiping those other gods, and Israel is just kind of a, a side party to something between God and the Canaanites. Yeah. Uh, and when we talk about how God fights for his people, and that that really... For the most part, they are there as more witnesses than they are as warriors. Yeah, yeah. So they're supposed good. to see these great and mighty works of God and help them remember the things that they so often forget. And I think that also points back uh, early on. I think it was episode two. We talk about the commander of the Lord's army and Joshua yeah. himself has that like eye-opening moment that like, oh, yeah, like these battles aren't for my good. I mean, they are for my good, but the the commander of the Lord's army is saying, I'm not fighting for you or your adversaries. I'm fighting for God, right? And what mm-hmm. his will is and everything. So I think that was yeah. eye-opening for Joshua there. And then uh, we see that whole deal with Achan going against the commands that God had set and Israel loses a battle. Yeah, I think if we put it in today's terms, which is kind of what I want to do, is just break all these metaphors down into like how we interact with them and work with them now uh, before we move on to this last section of Joshua. But I think to put what you're talking about in today's terms, it's like saying, it's God saying, hey, I'm not doing this so that you can have a better life necessarily. Like I'm not doing this so that you get a Lamborghini or that so yeah. you can have the income or the house or the family that you want in the land that you want. That's not what this is about. If it were, then sure, conquer these people, take all the spoils of war that you can, like live high on the hog and like until you die. Yeah. But the whole <laughs> that would kind of go against the whole narrative of what life should be like and is supposed to be like for us as Christians. And so that's kind of how we set up the book of Joshua in the beginning is that this is a good metaphor. I mean, it's not just a metaphor. It, like, I think it really happened, but that story then becomes a good metaphor for our lives as Christians living in this already not yet of God's plan. Right? So Jesus, yeah. because we're on this side of Jesus and history, he has already conquered death and defeated sin, but he has not yet come and brought, you know, made heaven on earth and turned it into a place where we can fully realize that, right? Mm, He is still pouring out his grace and in the process of enacting his judgment. This isn't like judgment day hasn't happened. We've all been separated into like those in Christ and those not in Christ. 
we're still all mixed together and we have to to deal with that and that's all still mixed inside of us and we have to yeah. deal with that right we are both saints and sinners right now and that makes it complicated right <laughs> the people of Israel in the story are God's people and they also continually disobey God and run away from God and and follow other gods and so i feel like we can relate to them a lot in their struggles um yeah our gods are just different yeah yeah the the gods we struggle with worshiping yes absolutely are not not uh molech and baal and these other old testament gods as much as they are um ourselves or (laughs) success or money or like all all these these other things that are more um uh more we talk about in in modern times so now, as we go back and try to apply these things we've learned throughout Joshua to ourselves, we see that being strong and courageous for us means staying close to Jesus. We know Jesus is our hope and our Savior, and He's the one through which we experience the grace of God. And so we need to stay close to Him. I think the Bible will talk about growing in Christ's likeness, or being in Christ, or abiding in Christ, or our union with Christ. There's all these theological terms around this. And it just means, like, be close to Jesus. Yeah. Right? Like, And that's something I think we say on paper a lot, but I don't know that we do it or know how to do it or feel yeah. like we are standing on solid ground there. I know that in a lot of senses, we don't. And that's the yeah. whole reason, <laughs> and the people we've talked to, because that's the whole reason we've kind of took we started the deep dive into spiritual disciplines right everything that we're doing is to grow closer uh to jesus and live more in his likeness we will never achieve full likeness of jesus but we want to try to be representatives of who christ is um Mm -hmm. and yeah i i just think you're right. We're in that. I think it's okay to say we are in that space. We don't have to. Oh, skirt for around sure. It. Yeah. I mean, there's a big part of me that likes to try to hide it and then put <laughs> off as if, hey, dude, I'm nailing this thing. Uh, but I know it's very not true. And it's also very not helpful uh, yeah. to pretend it's not helpful for me or for other people to pretend like I've got it more together than I do. And so that. That leads me to kind of this next thing, which is they talk about the law a lot in the Old Testament and in Joshua. At the beginning and here at the end, like we're going to talk about, one of the big reminders is like, keep the law, don't. And I don't know. We look back on this in in our like revisionist history and we hate it. Like we're uh, I, I, Christians, but I'm especially I think non-Christians just look at God and these Old Testament stories of like just some megalomaniac who's like, well, if you don't love me, I'll just kill you. Uh, and that's not that's not what's going on yeah. here. The law is a blessing to us. It is a thing that shows us how to stay close to Jesus, right? In a lot of ways, Glenn, we're our own worst enemies, <laughs> And we need we need some ex, uh, uh, external influence, yeah, that helps coach us, right? Like, yeah, my kids want to run out into the street without looking both ways, and I right, have to go, whoa, right. whoa, 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 like let's put some rules around this to help us. And sometimes 
as Christians, we know we put unhelpful rules around things, but oh, yeah, God's law go is good and right, and it's a good thing for a parent to tell their kid, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, stop, let's look both ways, okay, let's make sure it's safe, now we can go across the street and play with yeah. the neighbors, uh, um, which <laughs> is what my kids do, that's why they're constantly trying to run across <laughs> the street, um, and so... I think that's how we look at it, right? And that's how we, you and me, have talked about spiritual disciplines. So we tend to feel so much shame and frustration around these commands or strong suggestions to read your Bible regularly or pray regularly or go to church every Sunday. And sure, people can be legalistic about things around those, Mm. but it's unhelpful to say, well, you don't need to do those at all. You don't yeah, need to read your right. Bible. You don't need to pray. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's like, I mean, technically, I guess not. But what kind of relationship are you really having with Christ if you're not learning about him in his word, and, and that's literally hearing from him in the, yeah. in the word of the Bible? You're not talking to him in prayer, and you're not around his people. I, I, don't, I don't know how you're cultivating a relationship with him. And and even if you still are managing to, like you're using you're using smoke signals to communicate yeah. with him when you could just like call him. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there are other ways to experience the goodness and grace of Jesus, but why are we but I think because of our baggage sometimes, and this goes for me and you too, like we've talked about this, we tend to want to avoid those things altogether. Or we feel so much, we know we should do them, but we feel so much shame around them and so much uh, like failure and uh, lack of confidence or yeah. inability around it that we were just completely demotivated to even try. I don't have anything to add to that. You were <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, story of our lives, right? Yeah. So. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back, and I think maybe we'll end up with some good news uh, around all that. But the last thing we've seen in these first, uh, this first half, rather, of Joshua is that they are still involved in doing things. God still wants them to go take the land. And yeah. so although Jesus has already won the war, we still have work to do. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the Israelites, the land was as good as theirs, uh, God would say, and God did say, uh, but they still had to go through the process of seeing it, right? Yeah. And I think that's what life is, right? <laughs> I think right. that's like the whole point of not just like becoming a Christian and then dying uh, and going to heaven or whatever. Like the point is, that that life is this learning and that comes through like going through the steps and the process and following the commands that God has for us also um so even if i think you may hear that and go well i still don't want to do that I'm, i'd rather just become a christian and die it's so it's good for us that's what i'm basically saying there it's good for us to actually get to experience it well this side note this is something we talk about a lot as far as like trying to teach people things. You don't learn by someone telling you principles. Like when you're a kid, 
all, every story, well, I mean, still, but I think of like all the the kids' stories. They all have a moral at the end, right? It's like, yeah. here's the rabbit and the hare and, or sorry, the tortoise and the hare. And the, the moral is like slow and steady wins the race. And I don't think you come to believe or live by those morals if someone just came along and said, hey, slow and steady wins the race. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Do that. Don't ever go too fast. Like, you don't learn that way. You learn by hearing the story and seeing the emotional ups and downs. I mean, kid stories are, you know, pretty rudimentary in a lot of ways, but that's, our, that's the movies we watch. That's the books right. we read. It's these meandering long walks to figuring out sometimes pretty simple morals but we actually school bus (laughs) yeah you gotta we i I forget what she quotes but it's like something to the effect of like we have to to get dirty and make mistakes and things like that and that's how they end up learning all the stuff they learn that's what i'm trying to say is it's good for us but it's also really good for other people right part of the reason we have the great commission is not just for us but it's also that we can go and take the good news to those around us. And even though we don't tend to look at Joshua and them conquering the Canaanites as doing that, if we really look at the story, it is. They see people Mm -hmm. like Rahab and the Gibeonites repent and turn to God and believe in him and trust him, and those people are spared. Like They're they're not judging people who believe in God. I mean, I don't want to open this... this, uh, can of like election or whatever and i like uh, 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 people probably are already like tensing up if they don't like that language but it's language in the bible so we kind of figure out how to how to deal with it and i think like the first question when i was in my cage stage calvinist uh (laughs) phase which i'm not in as much the first question everybody wants to ask you that you have to argue with them about is so you're telling me that there's people who want to be Christians and God just doesn't save them. And I'm like, that's not at all what's happening. <laughs> I'm saying, like, absolutely God wants to save the people who want to be Christians. So, so the Calvinism debate is more so about what makes someone want to be a Christian. Well, it's probably because mm-hmm. God's working on your heart. But that's not what's happening in Joshua, right? He's not going up to these people who are saying, hey, hold on, we repent, we're turning away from uh, from our wickedness and to God. And he's like, nope. You still gotta die. Like that's not that's not that's not what's happening, <laughs> and that's not that's not heaven or hell, man. I'm on Twitter, Twitter's a horrible place. I shouldn't be on it. It's so exhausting. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I read a tweet today that this person was like, um, basically, their point was. People try to tell me you don't like people try to talk me into going to heaven because I don't want they don't want me to go to hell. And her point was like, I'm not even worried about going to hell. Like, I would rather go to hell than whatever your idea of heaven is. And I'm like, first of all, Hmm. you don't understand hell, clearly. Uh, But their point is like, if God is who you say God is, meaning which is not nobody's saying this is who God is, but their their interpretation is um, if you know, all these white Christian slave owners were Christians and they're in heaven, but all these slaves that they oppressed because they were from other cultures and weren't Christian, didn't become Christians, are in hell. Well, I'd much rather be in 
And so this slaves just one example of this in a number of different ways. I'd much rather be in hell with like my ancestors than be in heaven with some like evil white slave owners. So anyway, yeah, I got sidetracked there, but the point that I'm I'm finally getting to here is that she didn't consider Jesus at all in either of those scenarios. I'd rather be in hell because that's where maybe people I know are first of all, it's not like you're hanging out. Sorry. Like hell is not like, oh, you know, we're all hanging out at the bar and enjoying each other. That's not that's one of the misunderstandings of hell. But the other thing is like the whole thing we've been talking about, Joshua, be strong, courageous, obey the law, like all these things, they're about being close to Jesus. They're about being close to the person who has saved us, the person who has shown us grace, the person who has loved us when we have hated him, all these things. And and because they're only reckons they're only reckoning with these vague ideas of heaven and hell that are really more cultural than they are biblical. They're completely overlooking the entire thing that the Christian life is about, which is our union with Christ. It's about growing deeper in relationship and love and obedience to Jesus. And who cares if you call it heaven or hell if you're not even considering where Jesus is? And not not to play devil's advocate on this, but whose fault is that, right? Because where is she getting those notions? It's not necessarily her fault if she doesn't know oh, sure. who Jesus I'm, is. And I'm yeah, not, don't, yeah, I'm not don't. trying to push against you, but I think I'm just trying to bring yeah. awareness to the fact that like for people, at least some people that I know, they have perceptions like that because of the Christians they know. Christians in yeah. quotations. Yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> you're totally right. Don't hear my uh, angry tirade about a tweet as like dis, distaste for this person. It's just that idea. It's like that's yeah. such a shallow straw man idea of why I'm wrong about heaven or hell. You don't even understand like the the better ideas here. And so as Christians, again, talking about how we have work to do, like we get to actually share love and grace with people and kind of break down some of these misunderstandings they may have about what we're actually doing here. Hmm. And that's that's encouraging. Like it's not it's not about uh anymore for us. We've talked about this previously. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and the, the demons essentially that govern this present darkness. Uh, and so we get to be a light in all that. We get to be people who have seen and experienced the light of Christ on our own lives. And then we get to share that with others. So that was the whole ramble. It wasn't in my notes. Uh, but anyway, now it's, now it's done. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast, we've been in a coffee shop. It's crazy the amount of editing that we can do to drown out all of these crazy noises that you hear and just hear our voices. But yeah, Tanner is right. We are in a coffee shop and man, does it smell good in here. Yeah, we're just taking a quick break as this nice lady pours us some more coffee. I mean, you can hear them grinding some new beans in the back. It's it's a good place to do it. It's great. And as you've probably noticed, Tanner and I have lowered ourselves to the point where we need to ask for money 
<laughs> both in a coffee shop and virtually to uh, support this podcast. Hey, busking is a perfectly fine thing to do. But for people like you who aren't here in the moment, we have to give you another option, which is a virtual tip jar. So if you want to support us, you want us to be able to keep making episodes like this one, then you can check out the link in the description and drop us a few bucks, just like the people here. I mean, the study group over there was nice enough to contribute. Even the guy playing guitar busking himself over <laughs> in the corner. Super, super cool dude. We, ha- we must be the most annoying people in here. This guy's trying to play guitar and we're doing a podcast over him. But, you know, we fit in wherever we go. And who knows where you'll see us next week. So that was a good recap of those first 12 chapters of Joshua. And we wanted to do that, like we were saying, because we mm-hmm. just wanted to to build what uh, this book is looking like and and how those things actually apply to us current day. Uh, but now we want to take time to jump into the last portion, uh, basically the last half of Joshua, where, you know, we're at this place now. They've they've been in battles and war and fighting uh, for God and, and moving into this land. But now what do, what do they do with it? Yeah, I wanted to recover like the facts of the Joshua story, how that applies to us. Then let's like you're saying, let's talk about the facts of the second half of the book and then we'll talk about what that also means for us, how it kind of wraps up uh, our purposes <laughs> of being in Joshua. But yeah, when we hit Joshua 13, he's an old guy now, and there's still land to conquer. So he's old, there's still work to be done, very much like Moses. He's old, he's yeah. not going to get to go in the promised land, but there's still a lot of stuff to be done. But one of the key things that I love in in that part of the story is that God tells Joshua to go ahead, go ahead and divide up the land for inheritance anyway. Like, it's not conquered yet. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just split <laughs> it up and tell people what's theirs because it's as good as done. God even says in that passage, like, I will drive the people out myself. And so, again, I think that reflects the current reality we live in, where the work is good as done. We just have to be faithful in the doing of it. And so yeah. a big portion of the second half of Joshua, and this is why we're covering so much in one episode, is essentially a map. It's like it's like reading a map with no pictures. It's like, here's where a line went, and then here's where another line went, and here's the people that were in those lines, here's the people who were in other lines. And So I think it's one of those sections in your Bible where you're tempted to skim, and I think to some degree that's okay. Uh, I think there is a place to maybe slow down at times and pick up some of the other little nuggets that are definitely in there. Um, but for the large part, you know, you don't, you don't have to, every time you read the Bible, act super spiritual about John beget Joseph and Joseph beget Joey and Joey beget like, yeah, we get it. Just get the gist and let's keep moving. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at. Joshua has split up all the land. Everybody kind of knows where they're going to go, except for a few caveats, which we'll get to. But then chapter 18 kind of marks this midway point of the second half of the book. And I want to pull out a few verses from there and kind of talk about those because I think they're interesting as well. In 18.1, they set up the tabernacle. 
So we finally get even more of the promise being fulfilled of like, Mm. now we're in the land. Now we've put this tabernacle that becomes God's dwelling place where he can actually dwell with us. We are closer to the Garden of Eden. Um, And in verse 2, it says, the land lay subdued before them, which goes also back to Genesis as Adam and Eve had the command to fill the earth and subdue it, right? So the land was subdued for them, really, and they're yeah. just going to fill it and live there. So it's very much this like, hey, you live with me here now, and we love each other, and this is a great relationship. Like, this is awesome. The only thing we can mess that up, we'll get to, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> if the Israelites turn turn on yeah. God. But before we get there, 18.3, Joshua says something else is, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord has given you? And that just reinforces this idea that we've already talked about of, hey, you can rest now, but there's also still some urgency, actually, yeah. right? So yeah. I think that reflects our current reality of like, we should rest in Christ. The work is already done. But he does call us to be a part of it. I'm trying to, I always try to think of ways that this fits into like everyday life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you could go a handful of routes, but having a kid, right? (laughs) The work of having a child is done, but (laughs) you still got a lot of work to do, right? Maybe that's Mm -hmm. not the best example, but I, I think that God is really trying to show like, I've been, I've been faithful to my word. I have given you what was promised um, but you still need to continue on, uh, with basically your end of the bargain, even though it's not yeah. really a, a bargain. Yeah. It's covenant, Glenn. Covenant. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So a couple loose ends, we'll wrap up here and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about what all this means. So chapters 20 through 22, I just want to kind of like lightning round this. They devote some of the land to be cities of refuge couple points here one this is the fulfillment of something god told them to do a while ago is to make cities of refuge for people to flee to essentially if they accidentally murder someone or commit a crime like that where it's not like hey i'm a i'm an intentionally wicked person who needs to be punished or stoned but more so of like hey this was a mistake or an accident rather but like i can't just continue to stay here like this isn't gonna really go well uh and so i need to leave And so, one, I think that's showing us that God is a God of refuge. We've all made mistakes. We've all even had accidents uh, and and sinned in ways we didn't intend to do. And God is a place where we can find refuge. But on the flip side of that coin, it also shows that God is a God of justice. One, real sin is punished because God is God. But then also, there's grace and mercy for unintentional sin. Yeah. So... God's just, he's merciful, he's our refuge. Uh, Number two, I think this is chapter 21, they devote cities and pasture lands for uh, the tribe of priests, the Levites. And it's an interesting way in which this happens because instead of getting their own big allotment of land like all the other places do, they actually get little pieces of land in cities from all of the other tribes. So instead of 
just being like another tribe and getting their own thing, because they live as priests, they actually have to be scattered throughout the land to -hmm. continue those duties. And it's a really, I think, interesting, it has an interesting tie to, uh, I mean, one, you could go the really practical route of like how we take care of pastors now, like people whose, whose life is devoted to the shepherding of God's people they live off of sacrifices from us, right? From other people. And it also reinforces the idea that at the end of the day, this isn't actually only about the people of God getting land and like becoming some powerhouse nation. It's also about their souls, right? Because he puts priests throughout the whole land so that people are cared for and people are uh that they you know provide sacrifices for those sins to be covered and all those things god is worried about uh worried he's concerned with maybe is a better way to put it making sure the people of israel stay close to him yeah and then the third quick one is um the reubenites the gadites and the half tribe of manasseh so this two and a half tribes here actually return back across the Jordan and settle outside of the land. Right. Which is interesting. That's what they were promised. Um, so it's a fulfillment of that, but also it seems weird <laughs> of like, well, did we, well, did we come out of the wilderness into here? So you can sell here and they leave. Uh, but I think the way that story plays out shows us kind of why that's going on. And a big thing that happens there is they build an altar which makes everyone else frustrated because the altar for sacrifices is only supposed to be in the tabernacle. Like there's one that they all share basically. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, essentially they say, hell on, this isn't, this is not for sacrifices. This is a sign for others and it, and them leaving the land and combined with that sign is essentially showing that, God is not limited to the Israelites inside of the promised land. Yeah. We know this to be true now, but it's a helpful reminder and it challenges us in ways in which we try to think of, you know, these people can be included in God's kingdom, but these people can't. And God's saying, I'm, I'm not like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I am not limiting, limiting who can come into my fold based on, where you live or what your ethnicity is or any of those things. Sure. Yeah. God used the people of Israel to complete these things that he, he asked them to do, but that does not mean that the people of Israel are only God's children. Well, we finished the book in 23 and 24. Joshua has basically a big final speech, maybe a couple speeches, depending on how you read it. And here's what he says. <laughs> He's going to recap for us, which is nice. God has been faithful he says, quote, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. So again, he reminds the people, God's been faithful to you. God's done only good for you. That's the other thing, going back to our tendency to sometimes, uh, in modern times, think of God as some megalomaniac who must be loved. And we forget the fact that actually God's only ever done good for us. Mm. Right? Like there's sin in the world, bad things happen. But God, in his ultimate benevolence, has only actually done good things for us. And us staying close to him is only actually good for us. 
Like, because we've talked about this a lot, but we, you know, we do worship other things. We do look for fulfillment and all these other things and we won't get it. That's the thing. Like if God's right, if God is right, that he actually is the only place in which we can find fulfillment and love and rest truly and fully, then it's good for us. (laughs) It's good for us to be close to him. It's good for him to want those things of us. So, yeah, God's been faithful. (laughs) It's it's Joshua's reminder. Uh, He's only done good things for you. And all the things that he said he was going to do, he actually did them. And then second, again, stay close, right? He says, quote, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Just be be careful to love him, because if you don't love him, you're going to turn to other things, and that's not going to end well for you. Well, and I think that that also points back to that goodness of God. When we turn to other things, we think that they are good. And then that basically negates our idea of the goodness of God uh, when we turn from him and look to other things. Yeah, I mean, well, the fruit in the garden looked good. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like Eve was like, oh, this looks horrible. I'm going to eat it anyway. It looked good. And you're exactly right. When it looked good, she started to question God. When it looked good, she was like, maybe there's good stuff out here that you don't know about or that you don't (laughs) want me to know about. Yeah. And the problem is, she's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, when we catch ourselves feeling that, we don't really think it, but we Mm -hmm. feel it a lot, and we act on those feelings, uh, we're wrong. Yeah. And so, anyway, the temptation here for the uh, Israelites in the book of Joshua is to intermarry with the people around them. It's to actually not drive out all the people like they've been told, but to keep them around, to intermarry with them, to maybe take on some of their religious practices in addition to the the Israelite uh, religious practices. And the problem is those people were devoted to wrath for a reason because those religious practices weren't good. They weren't good for yeah. them. They weren't good for the people that they hurt in those women. There were child sacrifices going on. Like, they weren't good for anybody. And if Israelite gives room for that, then it's going to infect the whole thing. And they, too, will be devoted to destruction or wrath, which, again, not good. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not what God wants for us. So, anyway, uh, the last thing that happens is Joshua places a stone as a reminder of the covenant that they've made with God. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You, you obey the law and I'm going to keep my promises. And this is tricky because they kind of insist like, Hey, we're not going to mess up. We're going to, we're going to be fine. And Joshua's like, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, I've been here for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen how this goes. Uh, and so it, he also places that monument there as a witness against them if they fail. Right? So yeah. they they feel fully confident they're not going to. And Joshua's like, eh, this thing will know. This thing will see it. Uh, right. Not like literally, but you, you get what I mean. And so this is where I kind of wanted to wrap up with like, okay, what does that mean for us, right? Because we've talked about living in this already, not yet. But what we haven't talked about is the the yet, like what comes, right? Because yeah, 
if we make a direct connection between us and Joshua, this this end is, well, hey, don't screw up. You'll make it to heaven, right? Like, I think I think if we're not careful, that's where our mind goes. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that Joshua book was really helpful. At the end of it, I thought that I guess I just need to be good. Um, mm. And I'm not saying don't be good. <laughs> like, make it clear. I'm not saying, hey, go be bad. Um, but that would be like the heaven and hell scenario we talked about earlier, missing the Jesus of it all. Yeah. Like, this is all actually supposed supposed to point to Christ, right? The person who actually gives us the ability to be close to God, that's Jesus. The person who actually gives us the power to obey God, well, that's Jesus sending his Holy Spirit. And that's the other the piece here is in the Joshua story, God gives them this land that can be taken away if they don't live up to it, right? But Jesus gives us a kingdom that can't be taken away. Like there, it can't be removed from us. Once God has us in his grasp through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection sacrifice for us, that can't be removed. Nothing is stronger than that that can take it away from us. And the last thing, this is a weird needle to thread because we haven't talked about it much, but I mentioned the Holy Spirit there. And that's actually this other flipping something on its head, which is we kind of think like, hey, we're going to go to the promised land. You maybe have heard this where uh, when someone's teaching the Bible, they talk about how early on the followers of Jesus thought that like he's going to lead a revolution. He's going to like overthrow the Romans. And now we're going to live on earth in the promised land. Like, we're going to get to do this again. And Jesus doesn't, he dies. <laughs> and they're like, what the crap? <laughs> uh, and that's because Jesus isn't fighting a physical war, he's fighting a spiritual war. But back to that point I just said, before he leaves, he says, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God, yeah. right? And it lives inside of us, right? So instead of us, at least for now, instead of us ending up in this promised land and being with God that way, that's coming. Uh, that's what heaven is. That's new heaven, new earth. It gets to be the new Garden of Eden and we get to live with God. But until then, God's not going to leave us or forsake us. He literally has made his home in us. And yeah. that's, that is the power through which we do any of this. Right, so if you walk away thinking, "Well, I guess just be good," first of all, being good didn't get it for you in the first place. It's not going to help you keep it. Um, but because we have it, we're motivated to love Jesus more, to be more like Jesus, which kind of looks like being good. And we can only yeah. do that through God's power, Him, the, the power of God Himself, which is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. I yeah. know that's kind of like a mind-boggling thing to have to try to like parse all those out, but that's the reality we currently live in. Yeah, I now that we've wrapped up Joshua seeing those first, you know, chapter where God is calling Joshua to be strong and courageous, knowing that God is with him always, we can tie that right back into what you were just talking about, right? We can be strong and courageous because God is close to us, he's near to us, he is mm-hmm. within us. Mm-hmm. Um and so we should, we should uh, be strong and courageous in that fact 
uh, and knowing that God has never failed us. He stays true to our promises. Um, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I think um, I heard Chandler say this essentially, and we're going to talk about this a lot in our next series, which is a teaser, I guess, <laughs> which is kind of figuring out what it looks like for you to be faithful, you specifically. What does it look yeah. like for you to grow in Christ-likeness, for you to live as Jesus? Dallas Willard has this really good quote that I stumbled upon this week, and it says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Hmm. Which my, I, I don't know. I'll be honest. Like, in my more reformed sensibilities, since I kind of played my cards earlier and told you that that's kind of the way I lean, uh, even though I tend maybe not to be as black and white about it as a lot of people, uh, that feels a little prickly to me of like, Ooh, I don't know if I like the way he said that, but yeah, I almost I, feel sacral. Yeah. I, yes. But I think it's true. Right. Cause yeah. Jesus lived in a time that isn't our time. He lived in a place that isn't our place. So it's not saying that, Hey, you know, we're going to look wildly differently than Jesus in order to be faithful. But what it is saying is that Jesus would do a couple of different things with the same spirit and the same love and the same truth if he were you. So what's that yeah. actually look like, right? Because that's one of the biggest problems of the Christian life is, is answering that question of what would Jesus do, right? If we are yeah. going to be close to him and to try to live the way he lived in this world, how do we, how do we take his thousands of years ago life and apply it directly to ours? So, we're going to kind of piece that apart. And a lot of it comes down to figuring out how God has specifically wired you and essentially what being the most faithful version of that you looks like. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. But I, I think what we just talked about here in Joshua leads us into all that. Back to what I was saying originally. Chandler says this thing recently. He, he's probably said it for a long time, but I've heard him say it a few times recently where it's essentially like, I want to gear you, he's talking to his church, I want to gear you people up and like unleash you into the world in a way that like Satan is concerned with you. Mm. Is like, I, I know that guy and he drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, which sounds like, I, I don't know, there, there's another part of me that's like, ah, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's also like, but what if that were true? Like, what if we could actually live in a way that's faithful to who God would have us be in a way that it actually angers Satan? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. that I think, is something worth striving for. And we, we're only doing it by the grace and the power of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But if we can stay close to Jesus, if we can obey God in a way to stay close to Jesus, but also in a way to take the gospel out to the world around us. And if we can figure out what it looks like for us to be faithful, I think we can be really, really impactful in the world. And ultimately, like, isn't that what most of us are trying to do? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying, like, war. I'm not saying this millennial, like, you have to go change the world, but your world that you live in right now, your place that God has you, you can make the most impact for Christ as possible if we can, if we can get a handle on this stuff and figure out how to, to best live in those truths. It's, like, it's going to be crazy. If all Christians could do that, like, can't you imagine how drastically different things would be? Oh, yeah. It'd be crazy. 
that's what the next series is about. We're going to remove a lot of the shame and frustration strongholds that we fall into and that give us a lack of confidence about who we are and who God has made us to be. And I think it's going to free us up to ultimately do a lot more good and be a, mo- a lot more like Christ. I love it. Well, guys, like we said, this is our final episode in our Joshua series. We have this new series coming up. We have a lot of guest episodes coming up that we're really excited about and are really going to tie into this new series that we're speaking on as well. Uh, So keep listening. Let us know what you think about the show and what we are talking about. We want your feedback. Uh, And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Yeah, as always, you can find us on social media. It's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Comment on a post. Let us know what you think. You can also email us directly at hello at bibleandstuff.com. But two things I would love for you to do is to go to either Instagram or YouTube and check out our shorts that we call Bible Bites. They're these little uh, bites of (laughs) things that are in the Bible that we try to explain an idea or a story in about 60 seconds or less. We think they're good. Uh, and they're also very shareable. So share those with someone you know or share one or two that you like with someone you think might actually enjoy it. And uh, also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this show. If you're in iTunes, scroll down, like literally just click on the button, write a couple sentences about why you think our show is awesome, please. And then hit five stars and submit. And it's not, I know it's a big ask, but it's not, it's not a lot and it means a lot when you do it. Well, until next time, peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.